Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook. If you would like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Um, but we're here today to celebrate this new book, Special Exits by Joyce Farmer. Uh, Joyce is a pioneering underground comics artist whose controversial 1970s feminist humor comics include Pandora's Box, Abortion Eve, and Tits and Clits comics. Her work has been exhibited internationally, and for the last 10 years she's been working on this book uh, that we're here to celebrate today. The book has been exuberantly praised by R. Crumb. It was named one of Entertainment Weekly's 10 Best Graphic Novels of 2010, and one of the most memorable comics and graphic novels of 2010 by N. PR's Glenn Weldon. She's traveled up from Laguna Beach today to tell us all about it, so let's give her an extra warm welcome. Joyce Farmer. And I don't have a set talk, so um, has anybody here read the book yet? Anybody? <laughs> Well, anybody have any questions before we... I, I usually go with sort of a question and answer and, and talk, just d discuss our way through it if there's... Uh, but if you haven't seen the book or haven't, haven't looked at it, um, let me say that um, this is a pretty much a memoir. It is a memoir of when my parents were old and failing from about 1989 to 1994. I was an only child and I helped them with whatever they needed to stay in their own home. They lived in not quite Watts, but south of Los Angeles, um, at just pretty much the intersection of the 105 and the uh, Harbor Freeway. And it's a place where I had been raised since 1941 when they built their house there. Actually, it was my, my mother and father built the house and my mother died later and my stepmother came in and was more my mother than my mother was since my mother died very young. And uh, so as my parents aged, they got more and more frail. They had a lot of very complex problems. And I was blindsided about how to help them. And I kept, um, kept doing the best I could. I got a lot of advice from friends. And after, after a while, I realized that things were just spinning out of control. And I started helping them more and more and almost living there sometimes. Just my, I live in Laguna Beach and I was just driving my car. I couldn't even remember the trip. I'd start out, gotten the right freeway, and I didn't remember a thing until I got there uh, to their house and the same going home. Uh, it was a very emotionally draining time. Um, and then I realized after they died that a lot of people are going through this and taking care of their elders. Uh, either your grandparents, your parents, whatever. We all get old, we all get frail, if we're lucky. And um, uh, my parents handled themselves very well. My stepmother probably had Alzheimer's and that gave a particular, uh, you know, she didn't know what was going on, but my dad was trying to take care of everything. Uh, it was very difficult. <clears throat> Fortunately, she was blind and um, couldn't stand up, couldn't walk, so we didn't have her running out in the street like a lot of Alzheimer's patients do. She, she would fall off the sofa a little bit and we'd pick her up and put her back on. And, 
um, it, it, all of their problems were the ordinary problems of old age and the extreme old age. And after they died, I just kept thinking that, uh, first of all, I'm an artist. I was a cartoonist for a long time. I always did very edgy stuff. And I started realizing this is a book. I had all these stories of things that happened and these incidents and craziness and funny things and sad things that happened. And I couldn't get the, couldn't stop thinking about it. So I wrote down little notations for stories and I ended up with a hundred stories and realized that I had a book if I wanted to do a book. Never done a book before. I don't know how to write. I consider myself an amateur at writing, but I got pretty good at drawing before it was done. But um, in, in their later part of their life, uh, my, my stepmother, I realized my dad was not doing well at all. My stepmother was very unconscious of her situation and she was pretty demanding of my dad. My dad was barely able to walk across the room let alone take care of this 86 year old woman and um, so he, he and I decided she should go in a nursing home and as soon as she got in the nursing home a few days later they dropped her and broke her hip and uh, two months later in great pain she died. The problem is that she's not the only one. <laughs> and the more I started working on this book, the more I started realizing that the problem in nursing home is for everyone. You, can, you can't get away, you can hire the most expensive help in the world and they will still turn their backs and chat with each other, or do something while dad is falling on the floor and breaking something. Um, the whole problem is very, very difficult. I ended up getting quite angry at nursing homes. I wanted to keep humor in the book, and I tried to do that. My dad, my dad was very witty, and uh, so there's about a hundred stories in this book. Uh, people are pretty, pretty much amazed at the artwork and the quality of the artwork, for which I'm thankful. And I have to say that I did the best I could. It's not perfect, it's not our crumb, but it's, he liked it uh, in communication with him. But it's, uh, I tried to make it an honest book and I tried to show the universal in the daily minutia. And uh, uh, some people can, considered the idea, when people say, what is your, is your book about? I said, well, it's about two old people dying. And that's basically it. But I did, I had a lot of fun in there. There was a lot of funny stories and um, a lot of ir irony, which I love. And <laughs> um, uh, it was actually a 13-year project instead of a 10-year project. I had to do the best I could do for, to honor my parents because I invaded their privacy terribly. So, um, any ha if anybody has questions, uh, uh, it's unfortunate that not more of you have seen it, but uh, sure, go ahead. Oh, I have a question. How, how long a period of time went by from, from when your parents passed away to when you were conceived? Was it like a year or two years? Or was it like oh, that's a good question. About three years. I, I hadn't planned on this at all. I mean, I didn't, I didn't take care of them at all with the idea of writing a book about it. But I just couldn't help it. <laughs> things, things kept coming to mind, and I kept going. This would be interesting for everybody. And um, Do you consider it part of your process of mourning? 
Well, I think I was pretty much through the morning. Of course, when you're taking care of somebody for, um, it was five years, you almost get the morning done before they're, they've gone because you see how a person deteriorates and you don't wish for them to stay alive beyond a certain point because it's too difficult for them. Um, I also, as, at an, as an 11-year-old, I saw my mother deteriorate and die. And so I had that a lifetime. I'm sorry? She had had uh, diphtheria in 1916 when she was four years old. And um, diphtheria is something we don't have around anymore, but it uh, ravages your interior organs. So she grew up as a child having, um, not being able to run or walk fast or play sports or anything. She was always uh, delicate. She was a very robust woman, as I recall her. But she, uh, her heart just, her heart and liver and, or, and I guess it was kidneys, just failed. And uh, I, I think it was the last um, epidemic of, of um, diphtheria in the United States. And people today don't even know what it is. So, but you, all the babies get get their shots. It's DPT, and the D stands for the diphtheria shot. So, yes. So then you found yourself with those hundred anecdotes. Did you then, though, try to conceive of a, of a beginning? How does it, where does it begin? Is there a middle and is there an end? There's a beginning, middle, and end, but it wasn't what I thought it would be when I started the book. Um, I did the first 35 pages. I found the artwork to be not up to what I wanted to do, and I threw them away and started over. Each page takes me about a week to do. Um, it, was, it was a pretty harsh, harsh thing to do, harsh project. I'm really glad I did it. I'm glad it's over. And uh, um, I had trouble all along. The, the beginning the beginning and the end, I, you know, you can go chronologically in a book. And this is very good for amateurs because it gives you a natural progression for the book and something that's believable. And that's what I had to do because I'd never written a book before. I'd barely done a four or five page story before. So what, what the book is, is a, a, a lot of stories hooked together that relate back and forth with each other so that so that it becomes more of a whole. And at, when I was finishing the artwork for the book last, uh, about a year ago, I, and they wanted me to turn the artwork in. Fantagraphics wanted the artwork. And I said, wait a minute. And I took all the artwork and went one last time over it all in order to get the artwork more consistent because page 35 was amateur hour compared to page 55, et cetera. So I, I, I worked hard to make it flow smoothly. I also did the book in eight panels per page for almost every page. Once in a while, there'll be a double panel. But I, uh, it's a graphic work. I can't read from it for you because you need the pictures to, to read. But um, I kept it eight panels per page so that the reader would just have this regular progression and could read it like a book and not be digressed by splash panels and the things they do in other graphic work. Had you illustrated for other graphic novels? No. Uh, I had done a lot of work back in the 70s to 1987, 72 to 87. I had done seven issues of Tits and Clits Comics, which is looking at the sexuality of women from a woman's point of view instead of Playboy point of view, which was all they had back then. And my friend and I wanted to do something to counteract, if you're familiar with the Zap comics from 
many years ago. The zaps were done by a bunch of guys using women badly and a lot of violence, a lot of abuse uh, and murder and worse for women. And we wanted to do our, uh, back in the 70s, we wanted to do an answer to that. And in fact, we found we couldn't do the violence. We didn't want to do it. We didn't like it. And we ended up doing tits and clits, which was just looking at women and how they actually look at sex. They're worried about birth control. They're worried about um, menstrual factors. They're worried, you know, th there's many, many factors to sex that, that men don't usually pay any attention to. And women have to pay exquisite attention to, or we pay heavily. What point did you get hooked up with Fanta Graphics? Did you know, like, when you started working on it, that no. they'd pick it up? No. Or? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know where this book was going to go. I didn't know if it would ever get done. I had, I had years, say a couple of years in there where I didn't do anything because I got depressed over it, over it and other issues. It was just, it looked like it was just too much. But um, I pushed on always with the idea that I did it in black and white so that I could publish it myself if I had to. Let's get a double page here. It's no color. I didn't bother with color because I knew if I had to publish it myself, I couldn't afford to print the printer <laughs> for the color. So, uh, and, and actually black and white has got its own, um, its own beauty. Like the black and white movies, sometimes it's nicer in black and white. You, you add color and you start taking away from the fantasy aspect of it and you make it more realistic. I don't know, I mean, there's, color is beautiful too, so I, I don't argue against it, but I just had to do this in black and white because I didn't know who would publish it. And to, to have Fantagraphics as a publisher, um, about the time I was finishing up the book, I thought, well, I ought to start trying to sell it somewhere just so I didn't have, to, didn't have to publish it myself. And I thought, well, I need an agent. So I called a friend, and he knew somebody who knew this agent. And I wrote to the agent, and uh, they said, well, we don't look at books unless there's something to look at. <laughs> you know, don't, don't waste our time. And I'm going, yeah, but the book's done. And so um, uh, I convinced them that they should look at the book. And as soon as they did, they liked it enormously. And uh, took it on as, as something to sell, and she took it to New York, and it went through just at, in 2008, just as, it was, no, it was early 2009, just as the economy crashed completely, I had a book to sell. <laughs> and uh, uh, she had a lot of rejections from New York, a lot of interest, but the, but the rejections, nevertheless, they were afraid of somebody who hadn't published in 20 odd years, and they were afraid of mm, my dangerous mind, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, they were afraid of certain aspects of it, basically that I was unknown. And uh, so she, uh, she and I ended up with Fantagraphics. Fantagraphics knew me from the old days, so they knew I wasn't a total nutcase. And um, uh, hmm, we went on from there. It's, it's worked well with Fantagraphics. So, anybody else want to say anything and talk? Mm, yes. Hey, can you give us some advice on publishing books? Um, I used to read your comic book back in the 80s when I was a kid. Oh. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to, but I read it. Aha, uh -huh. you're too young to read it, right? <laughs> you know, I snuck into some places. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, how to publish. Well, back then, we published ourselves. And then that got to be the, the first uh, two issues, two or three issues, we published ourselves by taking the artwork, 
to a printer and saying, how much do you want to print the, I mean, how much do you charge to print this? And we'd get the covers from one place. We'd take the covers to the guy that was going to print the, the guts to it. They call it guts, the inside. They would print that and collate the cover and the guts together and hand us a comic book. That's publishing. We did it ourselves. Are there any scams to worry about publishers? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know them because I've never had all the work I've ever done has been published. I don't know why it's just worked out that way. Basically, I don't like to draw unless I've got some place for it to go. Uh, so I'm very lucky there. But people can work for years and have some scam artist, some scam company say, it's a, they're called vanity presses, where you pay them to publish and they give you a generally lacking in quality copies of your book. And it's, this is for people, it works well for people who are doing, uh, say, family memoirs where they want to give it to 50 people or something like that. But if you're trying to actually get published, you need a regular publisher because that you need to get dis distribution. It's not the publishing. Anybody can publish. It's easy to do. You need the distribution channels to get it in bookstores like this and Barnes and Noble and what have you. You need to get it, get it in the computer so that people can order it. Uh, you can self-publish and you can uh, publish on demand, and to some degree that works. But you won't sell very many books. Do you regret getting an agent? Because you could have just straight to yourself? I could have, yes. I could have, and I probably would have been successful. I'm still happy to have an agent. Um, the reason there being that the agent gets a commission, and it's only 15%. And Fantagraphics and all these publishers, you have to take their word for it on the, on the money. And I love having an agent because I don't have to deal with it. She wants her 15% commission, so she will see that I get what I'm supposed to get. And I'm, I'm happy to take less and not have to chase, because I've chased before and it's very unpleasant. Yeah. Many, many, yeah. Speaker. Uh, your masterpiece work, the one that you're the most proud of. <laughs> <laughs> Well, back in the early 70s, it was pretty groundbreaking to do what we were doing. The problem was that nobody liked it except a few very brilliant people. <laughs> well, we were so off the wall, we were doing things that men didn't want to know about. Men were accustomed to thinking of airbrushed women to have their thoughts over, you know, to, to enjoy. And a woman was pretty much an object and a Per, a, a personal possession and a whole bunch of things that they aren't now. They're, and I like to think that I help change our thinking a little bit, but who knows? It takes way more than one. So, but uh, uh, the Tits and Pliss was sort of a wonderful name because it got everybody's attention. Uh, but it couldn't get any reviews because no magazine would print, or no, uh, no newspaper or anything would print our name of our, our book. So we tried to change it to Pandora's Box, and that really flopped. Um, they were great ideas. They were poorly done. And uh, we literally, when we started Tits and Clits, we didn't know how to end a story. We could start a story, but we didn't realize it had to have an ending, so we'd say to be continued. <laughs> it was 
this baloney because we didn't know how to continue it either. <laughs> didn't have a clue. Who else was involved with that? Was like Lynn, Chev Lynn Chevley. That's yeah. it, just the two of you? Well, the first three issues were just the two of us, and then we started thinking it was an awful lot of work to do these comics, especially on any kind of regular basis, and we wanted to do them regularly. So we started uh, inviting other artists to join us. And um, so our, our editorial parameters were that it had to be not guy-oriented. So we didn't. We never happened to publish men, but it wasn't against. We didn't have a policy against publishing what men did. It's just that they didn't seem to write in a way that was intuitively feminine, thinking about birth control, worrying about all kind, you know, VD, all, all kinds of things. I mean, women women worry. This is our job. Was Trina Robbins involved? Um, she may have been in one or two, but I don't remember exactly now. We're friends, we're, we're in contact. Um, I was in the women's comics, and I don't remember exactly which stories went where because they were equal comics. The women's, women's series was pretty close to what we were doing. And Wet Satin, which was something that was Trina's title. Were you friends with Crumb and those guys back then, or were they like an editor? Uh, you know what? Uh, I met Crumb once in 1975, and he apparently was, well, I was very impressed with him. He was, he was a very interesting guy. Uh, to me, because the, I mean, we went to one of the, he's shy, he doesn't go to these conventions or anything, so you can't catch him, you can't just walk up to him and talk to him at a convention, he's never there. But the, a convention was going on in San Francisco, and Crum was, had his cheap suit serenaders band playing somewhere, and we went to see them, and I met him, and we were very kind of fascinated with each other. But I uh, couldn't go anywhere. He lived far away, and in the next week or two, he got married to Aileen, and I went on with my life. But we've been in correspondence ever since. I guess when I first did the very first Tits and Clits, I sent him a copy, just because, and he wrote back and said it was a masterpiece. It's been like 1972? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I have the letter. I think the letter is in 1973 because we published it in August of 72. And um, yeah, I think he wrote, he wrote a letter. I have it framed at home. It's, he drew a drawing with, with uh, a very intimate and funny drawing to go with the letter. And uh, I have it framed at home. It's one of my prized possessions, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and it's on, it's on lined notebook paper with the three holes. <laughs> <laughs> it's really fancy, <laughs> and it's fading because it's in ballpoint pen. But I don't care. I have it up anyway. So what else? Well, any question about you saying that the book took 13 years? I'm just curious. What, uh, what kind of? Uh, how could you? If the, the subject matter is so hard to, uh, it seems like it would be so hard to keep in your mind for 13 years. I just wonder. How did you deal with like having to, to continually face this in a solitary way? I think that's why I got depressed. <laughs> and I was depressed. I, uh, they had me on pills and that really flattened me. Uh, I, I just didn't do anything. But um, so after a while I stopped. Uh, now to keep it in mind, first of all, you, do, um, you, you don't do one page at a time when you're doing comic you, or a, a graphic work. You, you have some people draw without a plot. And I know somebody quite well who does this and insists that it's the best thing because it's coming from the heart. 
for me, I would get so confused and not remember where all the strings were and not, not have a way of tying it up. I wouldn't have control over it. So you write out the story idea first, which is what I did in 1997, and then you start writing the stories. And I found I could write two stories a day, two, four, say, four-page, two-page to four-page stories a day and, and have it all, you know, I want the frames to do this and this on, on notebook paper. And then uh, from that, I had to go find drawing paper, and had to take the ruler and rule it all out so that I had all my eight panels, just single line. I didn't bother with double and making it, because the panels changed. If I had a panel that I thought needed to have it, the hand at the bottom of the panel, well, I'd make the panel just a little deeper and the, the one below it a little shorter and stuff like that. Very plastic, and, but I work, some people don't understand, I did this all by hand. I didn't do it on computer at all. I don't know how to do it, this on computer. But um, uh, you, you, when you're drawing, you draw what you think should go in the panel, but sometimes you run over the edge or you, you know, whatever, stuff happens. And so you'll see in the book that I've done lots of mushing of the panel this way and that, but not enough so that the reader loses, the reader is disturbed by it. I try to do it so that it just keeps the flow. So what did you ink with? What did I ink with? A dip pen. The lettering too? Uh, no, the lettering I used a uh, rapidograph pen. The old fashioned kind that you sure. fill with ink, yeah. And a dip pen, I don't, I don't dip it. <coughs> Well, I did after a while. I, I, have, uh, I have an old Scripps, I don't know if anybody remembers the old Scripps ink bottles from the 50s you'd buy for your fountain pen, and it had a little well in the side at the top. Does anybody remember those? Yeah, and, and it had a little well, and so when you, you put your fountain pen in the well, and that way you didn't get ink all up the, into the top of your fountain pen. So I had one of those, and I found it was just perfect to put it at a little angle and fill it with ink, and then I could dip and um, uh, I used acetate, uh, S, F and W acetate ink in the ink. It's a very, very high quality ink and it's, a, it's plastic. Once it dries, it's waterproof. You can pretty much run water over it and wipe it up and uh, if you do it carefully, it won't, it won't uh, blur. And this is a wonderful ink because that means that you can do white out and fix things too. Every page has got about 30 30 errors on it that I fixed with whiteout. Very, very intensive process. I can't hear you very well. I'm sorry. I read an article in the newspaper. You're saying that you had some eye problems when you were working on the I have I have macular degeneration of the very worst kind. Hello. Yes, I just finished all the penciling and had to have macular degeneration surgery for my eye that was bleeding. And so they have to stop the bleeding, otherwise you lose the vision completely. So in, when they did the, the surgery, it made, I can see with one eye I see normally, and the other eye I see about two-thirds the size of my right eye. I see two-thirds the size. It's very bright and clear, but it's still two-thirds the size. So I wear an eye patch for all reading and all artwork because it's too confusing to try and put things together. Now I drive, I, I don't have a problem with driving because it's your peripheral vision. This has got a little hook on it right here and it just hooks onto the side of my uh, earpiece here and 
fits right over my eye, don't you? Do you, do you agree doing, do doing like really intricate detail, close detail work on the artwork? When you oh yeah, in fact I, I ink without my glasses because I'm nearsighted as most macular degeneration patients apparently of the kind I have are nearsighted. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm inking probably about that far away from the page. It, it's intense. It's, it's, uh, but you develop a whole set of muscles. I've got, I've got muscles you wouldn't believe, little teeny ones. <laughs> back muscles and everything. I'm in good health and nothing ever happened. You need a good chair for that, right? Well, I have a good chair and I have a good drawing board or I have what I, what I need exactly. And uh, yeah, I, I don't have anything expensive. I, don't, I, don't, I have a good light. That was expensive because I wanted to be able to get exactly the right light where I wanted it. So I, I got paid for something at one point and I just splurged on, paid the whole thing to get a good light, light uh, table. Have you heard When the Wind Blows? Have, have I what? When the Wind Blows, have you read that book? Yes, I have that. That's an old one from England. Right. Yeah, that Similar was very good. Matter. I'm sorry? It's similar subject matter. It's similar and they're, they're dealing with the, um, um, nuclear bomb going off in their neighborhood in England. This is an old couple, very isolated from their neighbors and from everything, and a bomb goes off, a, a, a bomb or whatever, and uh, they are caught in their home, and this is how they're trying to survive. And it's a very, it's about 19, mid-80s, I guess, the book came out. Remember, I think it was Tony Bennett at Knockabout Press, did he publish it? I don't know. Yeah, I think it was. He's a friend of mine. British? British, yeah. yeah. But a very, very interesting book. Is it still in publication? I, I don't know if it's in print, but uh, it's, it, it's, he's the same guy who did The Snowman, The Father Christmas. Mm. And uh, he's got lots of books in print. The weird thing is, I don't know that one. Raymond Briggs. This one was so intensive that I had no private life. I had no public life. I didn't read anything. I just just doing it for uh, such a long time. And in the evening, I'd kind of, like that, I couldn't bear to read because I'd been using my eyes so closely all day. And, and the, the, my eyesight is stable, so I'm fine. And the doctor is telling me I'm a poster girl for uh, not having it develop more. I eat gobs and gobs of fresh vegetables and um, uh, try to not do other things like alcohol or anything too much so that, uh, you know, keep a very healthy lifestyle. I'm trying to lose weight, but uh, uh, that, that's what, you can keep macular degeneration away. It, they, it's incurable, but you can kind of stop it in its tracks if you work at it. I take a lot of vitamins. Yes? Um, do you have long plans to maybe do other books of fancy graphics? Or maybe well, do a collection of tits and clits through them? Actually, we're starting to get people who want to do a collection of the old feminist comic books. And it's not just tits and clits. There's a whole bunch of them out there. And I would like to see that done. And I'd like to see it done properly. And to do it properly, uh, I have to get a friend or two and get together and write the history of it and why. And this is more than I can manage right now because I'm babysitting this one right now to try and get it out there. But uh, yes, I'd like to see that done. And in the future, I'd like to do some, um, I, I always like to do something edgy. I, I, don't, I don't do pretty pictures. 
<laughs> and, and as a result, I want to do, I want to find something that's important enough to do. And right now, I'm thinking that uh, the world really needs to know about those crooks out there who are preying financially on old people. I am tired of picking up the newspaper and reading about 500,000 to one old lady and this morning, a few days ago, $610,000 taken from an old lady in my neighborhood in, near Laguna and she has $5,000 left and she's 93 years old. Thank you very much. I mean, this is sickening. And if I can get funny about it and do good jokes like, like this one, you know, there might be something there worth doing. The other thing that might be worth doing is uh, a lot of women, like myself, most women, don't like to see their women's bodies seductively used to sell auto parts or apartment buildings or whatever it is. Mr. Sterling is my, my major joke right now because Donald Sterling is out there with all his fancy apartment buildings and those buxom ladies right next to the swimming pool selling the apartment building. You never see a picture of the inside of the apartment building, do you? It's always babes. And I'm going, uh, there's a lot of, uh, you walk into any auto shop and look at their calendars, I suppose, I don't know, but there's a lot of use of women's bodies for, to advertise and sell things that are, uh, it's inappropriate. And I'd, I'd like to see something with that. I don't know. I've got a bunch of ideas. More will come. <laughs> Do you feel like you're a very judgmental person? Do I feel like I'm a what? Judgmental person. Sure. Because in the, in the comic with your parents, it seems like you're very non-judgmental. Um, well, I like to think I'm perfect. Every single panel. Every panel, I was like, you know, I, I had opinions about every thing I was seeing. Yeah. And I, in real life, I, I vocalize these constantly. And, uh, I, think, well, I think like when you're talking about the, the care that your stepmother received in the convalescent hospital, that you that you're pretty much have a strong opinion about that. I sure and, did. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and it got stronger after she died. They, they killed her. They killed her. What am I going to say? You know, they, you drop somebody in a nursing home, you drop a, an 86-year-old person three feet to a concrete floor, it's going to end their lives. And, and uh, <laughs> yes, I'm judgmental. I, I, I try to be kind, sweet, and darling, but I'm known as the woman with a tart tongue. And I'll, uh, you know, I, I ordered a piece of furniture three months ago and it still is, hasn't shown up. And I've been into the place two or three times. And I went in there two days ago and gave him a piece of my mind. I mean, I'm just tired of the, I'm tired of the stupid details and I'm tired of people getting, oh, they're always so nice because they're going to do this for me. Well, they're not, you know, they're going to be lazy and, and I mean, I don't, I, I don't mind cracking the whip. <laughs> when you're talking about the condos that are for sale and like using women to sell them. Yeah. Are you angry at the people, the advertisers, or are you angry at the dumb people that buy a condo without seeing it, or you know, the ones that call for it? You know, I have to think about that. I don't know what I'm angry about. I'm just, I'm, I'm more miffed at, at using women's bodies. Now, they're models. They're getting paid to put on bathing suits and, and you know, do it. But what for? I mean, can't they sell a condo with on its own merit or something without having to use, use a woman to sell it? 
there's there's closet doors. They use these women hanging by the closet door, pushing the closet door because it's very seductive. And I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I, 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 writers writers have to have to have. Um, I guess you have to have a certain amount of push, and heart, anger is the push. At least with tits and clits, if we weren't angry, we never would have done anything. You being nice all the time, well, okay, take your pill tomorrow too. I, I don't know. I don't know what to say on that. I, I, I think it's, I think it's important to, I think it's important to be judgmental. You don't want to be unkind, but you can judge things for yourself. I mean, what's, there's nothing wrong with judging stuff, but you don't want to hurt people. I'm so sorry, Donald. <laughs> And, and speaking Donald, there's the other one too, the, the Trump Donald. <laughs> sort of the same thing, same idea. Um, do you use uh, visual references when you're drawing? And if so, like what kind? Uh, well, I went on the internet a lot to get down uh, uh, Model A Ford. And yeah, you know, anything I need to see in order to draw, I tend to Google it and download it. And uh, assuming. Um, that uh, they're accurate depictions of your parents? Uh -huh. Did you use photos? Or I used a lot of photos, but after a while I didn't use the photos so much because I started forming what their faces were like on the page. So I would use, I would just try to age them from what I had already done. Is that, so I don't know if you've drawn people in your life prior to this, but did that prove a difficult task or was it you're just in the work zone? and it wasn't as emotional an experience to be drawing the faces constantly. It, you know, once you have the stories written, the writing kind of, you have to decide what goes in there and what, what you leave out. And then once you draw the pictures, um, the only time I think I found it hard was when I was drawing things that would really embarrass my parents, like, um, my stepmother particularly had a scene where she was lifting up her breasts and saying, what are we going to do now? Well, she was with just getting a bath. And uh, this is actually did happen. And I have to apologize to her, but I also think that it made a, a very great turning point in the story of how she was because it's showing very clearly her deterioration. And they are gone. Um, I am an atheist, so I don't believe they're going to strike me dead uh, or punish me in any way. And I, but I wanted to draw it as well as I could to honor them as much as I could because I recognize that I really invaded their privacy. In the book, you draw about how deeply passionate your parents were about their hobbies, like your father really liked coins and um, talked about his travels and getting his his negatives developed, and then your mother really likes sewing and making dolls. I wonder what happened with all of those collections. Well, um, the dolls were sold because she did have a very. I, I inherited about a thousand dolls, and most of them were good, although some of them were just arms and legs and pieces. She went to Goodwill and she knew how to pick a, pick a doll out of the Goodwill bin. Uh, my dad's stuff had been collected a little more uh, differently. He would go to coin stores or someplace and buy things, and then he'd get these boxes of coins that were just for fun. Stamps, 
So I gave the stamps away. They were in a box like this, literally filling the box. My friend that I gave them to, who was a collector, said, Joyce, there's a million stamps in here. I said, oh, come on. He says, no, I mean it. There's a million stamps. Um, I had no idea what to do with these things. The, the rocks were taken by um, a uh, college in my area. But the stamps, I, I was anxious to get rid of. I just gave them away. Uh, the guy had done me a lot of favors. He was an attorney, and he helped sell Dad's house and stuff, so I didn't have to deal with these. So it was a, a gift. But uh, uh, yeah, there were <laughs> they did have a lot of stuff. Their, their house was just absolutely full of things, and it, and it wasn't newspapers and junk. It was all something, and uh, <laughs> it really filled up our house. We had, we had a brand new house at that time, and we had the living room was filled with as much space as boxes about to this high as, as there are chairs here with their things, and uh, it overwhelmed me for quite a long time, and to this day, I still haven't gone through everything. Plan to. Do you think um, just uh, do you think it's sort of a problem now that there really isn't sort of a tits and clicks or women's comics or a real cohesive like women's comics movement, or do you think that things have opened up and not? I think they've opened up because there's some very uh, edgy things being done, and I'm not aware of most of them because I have the last few years I've been keeping up. But Fun Home, for instance, was very edgy and very worthwhile reading, and she's been around a long time. Alison Bechtel, and she had a lot of important things to say. And um, yeah, in fact, I've been thinking, what would what would I do if I were to do a new Tits and Clits? And I'm going, yeah, I'm not interested anymore. <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> time is time for that is gone, and let somebody else do it. And, and I'm sure there's stuff to be done, but I'm not out there in the the scene as it is, so I wouldn't know what to what to choose, what to do. Carol Tyler's work? Yes. Yeah, the, the uh, one about her father. Yeah, and, yeah. I haven't got the second book yet. I've got the first one, and I found it uh, very interesting. She used an awful lot of paper that I would have condensed down and made much more concise. But um, that would be my only, well, that and some personal stuff that I think I would have veered away from, even though I did the same kind of thing here, but not my personal life with my personal husband. <laughs> so the I think second I, volume is next door if you want. I'm sorry? I did see the second volume. Oh, is it? Okay, that's good to know. Yeah. yeah. Well, is it, it's done by Fantagraphics, so, so I can just have them send me. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a couple privileges there now. <laughs> uh, what was uh, your parents' opinion of like Shits and Clits? We never talked about this. <laughs> I, think, I think my dad might have been aware that I did them, but he just stayed off the subject. He never brought it up, and I figured it's not up to me to push it on them. And so, uh, yeah. You were talking about feeling that you have invaded the privacy of your parents by doing this book, but I think it also demonstrates the, uh, you know, the, the impact that you have in their lives and taking care of them was, was more worthwhile than, than, like you're saying, when you put the, the stepmother in the convalescent hospital. You sort of have a contrast between the two, and it's something that we read it, you know, that's an important thing and the difference you can make in somebody's life by staying with them. <laughs> right. Well, you mean I shouldn't shouldn't have put her in the convalescent hospital? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that uh, the care that she received there was so different from the oh. care that you Well, you know, it, it was it was different, except that they dropped her. 
uh, she kind of liked it uh, because she had people to talk to. She was a very social person. And she was from the South, and she liked this, the Southern, and, and uh, I don't know, she liked being in there for the few weeks, the couple of weeks she was there before they dropped her. She, uh, she was making friends with the lady in the next bed, and she, she didn't, didn't mind at all. But uh, because she was blind, and they didn't read the directions, the, the sign that she was blind, she ended up missing a lot of meals and just shrinking and shrinking. And, uh, and I didn't, uh, it, it was such a mess. The, the place was in Hawthorne. My dad was in um, 111th Street and, and Hoover, if you know where that is. And, and I was in Laguna Beach, and I was just going this circle until uh, it was crazy making, trying to do all the housework. He wouldn't let me have people in. You know, you, you, when you have a parent that you've never said no to and you've never argued with, you, it's hard to start when you're 55 and they're 82. <laughs> so, so it's hard to stand out. I, I, I don't know about mothers because my stepmother never became my mother. So I never had that teenage push that most women have with having a mother. And my relationship with her was always friends. friends. She kept it that way and I kept it that way. And this way I got to keep my precious mother up in some sort of pedestal or something. Probably wasn't the healthiest thing, but it was what we did. I just imagine there are some people who wouldn't want to, uh, you know, go to the lengths that you did, you did to, to, to take care well, of Well, that or they can't. And if they don't want to, you have to say that um, maybe they don't know how to or they're blindsided by it. I, I kind of stepped into it one little step at a time not quite knowing what I was getting into, but I was the only game in town for them. Uh, they were, they just didn't have anybody coming up to visit and take care of them. N nobody was cooking for them or anything. It was on, the, on their own. When we finally got Meals on Wheels for a couple of weeks for Dad, it was after I told the Meals on Wheels lady very honestly, okay, he's eating whipped cream and cookies. And next day they were delivering Meals on Wheels, but, but before that we had to wait six months. That's something that seems like a widespread problem in general, that, that, that certain processes or, or things that are in place to try to take care of people really aren't really uh, well, responding to free people. It's, <laughs> it's not even that. The six-month wait was to get room. In South Los Angeles, there, isn't that many, there aren't that many services. And the meals and wheels were all done by ladies in some church basement cooking up the meals and getting, putting them on a truck and taking them around. I'm sure they had some sort of subsidy, but it's labor intensive and expensive. And um, my dad was so happy to get meals on wheels and he'd, he'd eat it very early in the morning. As soon as it arrived, he'd eat it because it would be still hot. <laughs> so for breakfast at 9.30 in the morning, he's having meals on wheels, but it would last him all day. It's just too bad we didn't have that uh, when my mother was still alive because they both would have benefited by it. And, and I can't say how much I appreciate Meals and Wheels. It was, it was really a terrific thing they did. But South LA has got very few resources. Were they terribly uh, innocent and naive in, in your eyes in terms of like? No, no. not particularly. My dad had been, uh, in what way you mean with life and? Well, like, yeah, nutrition or, or just planning ahead for their older age. 
retirement accounts or like oh no they had they had income the reason they lived in south l.a was because my dad didn't want to move it was too much trouble to move with all those dolls books and rocks and coins and you know who was going to move them and um, the money was there but we couldn't get people to help us that would be steady reliable and um my my dad was worried about the neighborhood. He didn't want the neighbors or anybody around to know how vulnerable they were. Because even though the immediate neighbors were all friendly with them, my, my stepmother was much more social and she knew everybody in the neighborhood. That was okay, but um, uh, the fear that they had of somebody coming in with a gun and, you know, it, it, it's, it's a real fear in South, South County, South Los Angeles. It's just big problem for them. They, um, their house had bullets in the, in the I, I had to change out after the, after I, when I sold the house, I had to change out three or four windows with bullet holes and, and there were bullet holes right next to the mailbox on the front porch. And that's right next to where my dad was sitting on the inside of the house. And, and, and yet he still wanted to live there. Now that's not naivete, that's stubbornness. Yeah. <laughs> it's also, a point uh, you get so old that you know you're going to die of something before too long. What's the difference? I think we have time for one more question. I'm sorry? I think we have time for one more question. Okay. Anybody have another question? Um, so you said that you weren't reading that much, but are there any authors or comics that you kept up with or you find really resonate with you? Oh, yeah. Um, what you mean examples? Yeah, just like <laughs> I mean, what are you reading, or is there what like am I reading? You're following, or comics you're following? You know, I do keep up with graphic work to some degree. I at least browse and I know what's out there. Um, but no, I haven't lately. And mainly, I guess I want to do something completely opposite. Uh, last summer, I was on vacation, and I enjoyed reading. The Travels of Herodotus. Now here's a 2,500 year old book, beautifully translated, and it was so interesting. But then again, I'm a classicist. I've got a, a bachelor's degree in classical languages, so I, have, I will never let go of that part of myself. As earthy as I like to be with the comics, as this, it, doesn't, it, it's, it does combine in a funny way. Okay, I guess that's, is that about it? <laughs> Oh, I, I thank you for coming. I'm, I'm sorry there weren't more audience. I don't know what happened to my family. They're out somewhere. <laughs> I expected them to come and sit, but here we are. <laughs> so thank you. Paul. You have been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www. Skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.